Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, Portico. It is great to be back home. Joe, it's good to be home. Been traveling for a couple of weeks and yeah. kicking around over in your old stomping ground when it was over in Israel. Portico Online, I joined you over the last couple of weeks. We were watching yeah. our whole series from the online experience. And I just want to say, those of you that join us online, we know that sometimes we have a little bit of technical difficulty, and that's mm-hmm. part of the overwhelming response we're having in the room. So we're addressing that. We'll fix that. But thank mm. you for your patience. Hey, how many folks are glad to see that Pastor Doug is back on a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> you're saying, thank God, because we're sick of Joe. That's why you're applauding. No, 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 no. Joe has been doing an amazing job. We've been watching. Give him a hand. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a great series. Yeah, a great series. His head is always in the stars, so it's good to come back and bring him back down to earth, isn't it? Well, thank you very much. I'm now, so listen, glad you're back. You know, it's good to be back. There's a couple of things I noticed, though. You, you remember we went through a series on Moses. Did we talk and, about Moses in this church? Yeah, occasionally. We did a yeah, little bit yeah, of chatting yeah, about yeah. Moses, so we, we had a chance. And I remember something out of the Moses story. Moses went away for 40 days. He went up on the mountain. He came down. And you remember what happened? Yeah, they, gold, they, they built a golden calf, calf yeah. right? Everybody yeah. threw their gold together. I go away for 20 days. I come back, there's a golden tree in the foyer. <laughs> How many of you saw the tree? You know what I'm referring to. Yeah, Pastor Doug, I, I, I don't, I'm going to explain it for the staff. We just threw gold into the fire and out came a tree. We don't know what happened. It's not yeah. our fault. All I said to the staff is I said, okay, those of you that are with me, grab your swords. No, we're not going to go there. Here we are. <laughs> Anyhow, it's really, really good to be home, and I see a number of you that traveled with us on the tours. Great to be back. We have a couple of guests today. Mike and Lori, I lost you. You're in the room, and Miguel, you're in here somewhere. Just kind of wave at me real, real quick. I'm not going to wear. I hear a whoa, whoa, right oh, over here. A uh, big hand to Mike and Lori and Miguel. They're, uh, Mike and Lori are from Nanaimo. And they found our tour and joined us online. It was so good to have you there. Oh, and then cool. they continued on to Elat and Jordan and Petra. And nice. you're still vacationing. But thank you for coming to Mississauga and yeah, making welcome. that part of your travels. Well, listen, let's get our apps out. You can download the app. You can follow along. And we're going to get into the message. This is week number four of our mm-hmm. series on signs. And we're going to be looking at a number of different things. Now, Joe, one of the things I personally experienced while traveling, this is... There was a, a window of four days where I was with Jeff Uters. He's now the executive director for First Century Foundation. I've heard of that place. You might have heard of I've them. I've heard of it. And we were traveling, <laughs> meeting the ministry leads. And so he was introducing Ooh. me to different people. But we rented a car. This was new for oh, us. Oh, that's fun. We had rented yeah. a car. We were driving in Israel. And I have to tell you, trying to figure out road signs in a different country, not North America, in a different country. Everybody following me? You're trying to figure out... What does that sign mean? Does that mean I can park here or I can't park here? Does that mean I'll lose my car if I leave it here? We were like totally confused. And I think you had a little bit of an illustration when you kicked off our series. Yeah, well, signs. We're all looking for signs. If you look at this picture, remember back on November 5th, we showed this here. And there are dozens and dozens of signs in this one picture alone. And we talked about how we see signs around us all the time and we get so used to them that we actually forget they're there sometimes. 
And the truth is, we're all looking for signs. We look for signs in little decisions. We look for signs in big decisions. Um, when you were first dating someone and you were wondering, God, should I marry this person? Remember you said, God, give me a sign, right? Well, well Karen didn't need a sign. Look at this. But <laughs> some of you need a sign. Should I marry this person? Don't. Jeez. Should I not marry this person? <laughs> you know, should I buy this house? Should I take this job? Should I move over there? Go ahead and say it. I know you want to. You're no, good? no, Karen's in the service. I That's res- true. I respect her decisions. No refunds, no exchanges, no returns. So it's all good. <laughs> oh. It's all wow. good. Wow. Here we it's are. It's so good to have you it back. It is good to be back on the ground, isn't it? It's so good. No, but we've been talking about signs and, and the importance of them and yeah. how God went to such great lengths to demonstrate His yeah. love for us and to remind us. And he, he placed them in the stars. That was our first, our first message, that there is signs in the stars. And we talked briefly, actually, on the Sunday morning here. And on Tuesday nights, we've been carrying on this, this theme of studying the constellations and looking at the incredible story that God has put in the sky. Now, if you don't have the opportunity to come on, on a Tuesday night, hey, we get it, we understand, but you want to learn more about Story in the Stars, this is the last Sunday that we're making available, the DVD called Story in the Stars, and I have a copy here. In fact, we found a partial box. We have 10 copies left now of the coffee table book. So if it's something you want, you can rush out there after the service around the corner to the left. Now, who does not have a copy? I want to go to the back. Okay, you. You don't even know what I'm going to say. So who does not have a copy but would like to buy a copy to give to someone else? There you go. (laughs) Enjoy. (laughs) Deeply discounted. For you, $2. All right. So, Joe, in the series that we're doing, though, as we're walking it through, there's been very, very specific, week by week by week, Mm. we've been looking at, because for a lot of people, you talk about a sign, and you go, oh, that's great, God put a sign out there. But signs are embedded with truth, Mm -hmm. and each of the weeks, we've been unpacking a different element of truth. So let's go back and real quickly recap. Sure. Uh, For some of us, we were away traveling, and if they didn't get you online, we would have missed this. And for those that are maybe joining for the first time online or in the room, each of the three Sundays now, Mm -hmm. so the story... If you talk about the signs of the stars, what's the, what's the message? What's the underlying What principle? did we come up with that? We said when we look at the integrity, when we see at the intent behind creation, we decided that God loves you on oh. Have you been saying that to yourself? Yes. He doesn't just love you because he has to. No, no. He chooses. He loves you on purpose. And when we look at the sky in that first week, that's what we were reminded of. So you drove it out a little bit deeper then. So you went from the yeah. sign up in the sky... And you actually, we began to look at it through maybe a historical calendar approach, and we said there are marked times and seasons yeah. where God speaks into our world, steps into our world, or interacts specifically. And mm-hmm. He's always there. We know He's always present. But there was a message in that because God didn't just create and abandon. Actually, God creates and participates mm-hmm. with us. Yeah. And there was a principle that came out of that. Well, yeah, we talked about how God has given us times throughout history to help us understand the times, what's going on, both in the life of Jesus and even now in our days. But we were very careful, Pastor, that we we said that don't use these signs to be predictive, to try and predict, oh, because of this alignment, this is going to happen on that date. Mm -hmm. That's not why he gave the signs. He gave them as reminders. When we look up in the sky and we see them, we remember what he said he would do. So they're reflective in nature, but they're not predictive. And he said that he would be with us to the very end. So we said, not only does he love us on purpose, but God is with you always. Wow, good. I like this. 
They Repetition were, is they the were greatest listening. teacher. Did you guys get cheat notes when you came in this morning? <laughs> Everybody is good. All right, so then we went into week number three, and this is really where you started to broaden out the message and bring it all back into play. So le- this is last Sunday. Yeah, last Sunday we talked about the signs of God's promises, that He said He was going to do something, and to remind us that He did it, He left the sign, whether it was in the sky or in the world around us. So again, when we see the signs, we don't use them to make predictions, but we say, wow. God, you said you were going to do it, and you did it. And you can't get away from it, because every time you see it, it's a reminder of what he said he would do. And so God loves you on purpose. God is with you always. And we said that God will keep his promises to you. Amen? So good. Well, now, I've been later. really looking forward to today, because I knew we were going to be doing a wrap-up. We were going to do a little bit of a tag team. Mm. And as we talk this through, because the practical application of what we're about to get into, you're going to want to take some notes. As we look at the signs of the Messiah, here's what we want you to capture. So that's our our big thing today, signs of the Messiah. But I want you to fill in the blanks and just take this away, and we'll tell you why this is so critical. Mm. But God gave signs to indisputably reveal Jesus as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Now, some of you are going to dismiss that real quick, and you're (laughs) going to go, well, yeah, we get that. We understand that. But this is critical when you talk about a multi faith world absolutely where people are challenging faith paradigms they got deep questions mm-hmm. you're talking about is this just a historical reality of jesus was he a prophet was he a good person yeah. why is this principle such an applicable moment for us mm-hmm. right here you know because like, like we said at the top that we are a people who require faith the bible says that the greeks seek knowledge and they said that the jews seek a sign we're, we're like them in that sense that we're always looking for sign prove to me this is right i need to know this is right you know we're like the thomas i need to touch it i need to feel it i need to see it and god is up to the task he's not afraid of that challenge and so god has given us prophecy after prophecy about one specific person the messiah and that messiah wouldn't fulfill 25% of the prophecies or 50 or 75 but if he really was the one that god had chosen he would fulfill 100% of the prophecies and there's no one in history no one in history that's even come close so we're going to dive in a little bit deeper and the reason i want you to get this is because at the Christmas season, you'll be walking out, and it's my habit, I'll say, you know, Merry Christmas to people, and of course, you'll get the Happy Holidays or Season's Greetings. Sure. But one of the challenges that you'll face is people will be very accepting of Jesus as a historical reality. Mm. It, whether or not they believe in the faith component, they're mm-hmm. going to go, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give Jesus as a historical reality. But there are others who are going, well, why should we believe Jesus? You have people all around you whether at work or in your family or mm-hmm. just within your peer group, your friend group, that go, well, why should I choose to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? There were all these other famous people, the other names that are out there. Mm. Couldn't they have been the one? Sure. And God chose, as you just said, God chose that he would reveal mm. Jesus. He would mark him through these prophecies. So very specific. So as you're in conversation this year, you're going to want to be able to talk to people and have this information on hand. Absolutely, you know, and that's why we went to all this work to put together the series to, to make those DVDs and books available because we want you to know them because people are going to ask you. This is that time of the year when people are, are a little more spiritually aware and sensitive. They're, they're a little more willing to have a conversation. Um, after the Bible study on Tuesday night, I had the chance to go into a room here and speak to the young adults. And I said, hey, just AMA, ask me anything. And they asked me some really good questions. And there, there was one uh, person there who was from a different faith background. 
And they said to me, okay, so you talked to us tonight that all the heavens point to Jesus, but couldn't they have pointed to anyone else? And they start rhyming off this person, this person, that leader of this faith, and that person. And I said, well, first of all, if the heavens do point to someone else other than Jesus, then I have a problem. And then secondly, I said, I did the research. I looked, and I took the figures, the biggest figures of the names of of the biggest religions and other faith groups we have, Mm -hmm. and no one had even a single alignment. The heavens weren't there to declare them. The heavens were there to declare Jesus and Jesus only. We can have assurance. So when you, when we look at this, we know that the Bible talks specifically, and I think most of us, you know, if we're an a Bible reader, maybe not an avid Bible reader, we'll go through passages and we'll go, oh, there's a prophecy, yep. there's a prophecy, there's a prophecy. Mm-hmm. How many, roughly, like, you know, there's, a, there's yeah. a variance here, but how many historical biblical prophecies are there concerning the Messiah? Because when we use a point like this, that mm-hmm. God, you know, indisputably reveals Jesus, yeah. so roughly how many are there? Well, roughly there are exactly 302 in the Old Testament, and that the Messiah would have to fulfill each and every one. So we're going to go through all 302 right now. Okay. No, we're not. (laughs) They were like, wow. No, we're going to go through a couple. I mean, the chances of of one prophecy coming true, okay. So if I said in a thousand years from now, there's going to be a man who's going to be born in this town, and his name's going to be this, and his mother's going to be that, you'd be pretty impressed with that. That's three. Well, what about 10? What about 20? What about 50? What about 100? The odds of one person fulfilling all of these prophecies, pun intended, they're astronomical. But yet, Jesus does it. For instance, one of the prophecies was that the Messiah not only would be the Savior, but he would actually be the Passover lamb. That this Messiah that God had, had prepared the world for, he was going to send them, mm-hmm. and then he was going to allow them to die on purpose to be the Redeemer for the sins of mankind. And we have so many verses that tell us that Jesus was crucified on the Passover, and Paul and Peter later on say, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. We have so yeah. many verses that speak to that. Now, you know, when we talk about statistics, and you start talking about 302 and Jesus fulfilling mm. them, so, sometimes visually connecting those numbers becomes really difficult. So, in a little bit of the research I was doing around this reality, this maybe helps all of us in the room. Uh, anybody know what that is? It's a, it's a tuning, it's in a case tuning. you're worried, yeah. It's not, not worth a lot of money, but it's, it's a tuning. So I was doing a little bit of research, and we're talking mm. about this, and some of the people that are involved in scientific research decided to look at the historical reality, and then can you verify, you know, can you verify these prophecies, and then what would be the likelihood of a person actually fulfilling these prophecies? And they decided to select eight, if Jesus... Only eight. Only eight. Wow. So okay. of the 302, if Jesus fulfills only eight of them. So they began to look at the background, and they talk about the statistical improbability. So visually, think of this, and here's how to do this. If you were to take a toonie and take a whole bunch of toonies and cover the entire province of Ontario to the height of 40 centimeters with toonies, so cover our entire province. That's like 16 inches or 40 centimeters covered with wow. this. Then take one of these and put a mark on it, shuffle it in the mix, and put it somewhere in our province. <laughs> then go ahead and blindfold a person and tell them, please go find that specific tuning. It's one in the power of 10 to 17, the statistical probability 
that that could ever happen for just eight of the 302 prophecies to be fulfilled, and yet the Bible shows that Jesus repeatedly fulfills prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Friends, our faith rests on a sure foundation. Come on, that's a wow. Not hypothetical. Come on, that's a sure foundation. I'm having a vision of Ontario covered in tunies. Isn't it great? That's a lot of tunies. That's a lot of tunies. But again, but just how God works. And so we have, of all these prophecies, one that really stood out to me, and we talked about this recently. Uh, Last week we mentioned it, and even in, in the Bible study. One of the prophecies that was so profound was that this Messiah that was coming would be born of a virgin. Now that's that's a difficult concept to grasp because we live in, in a scientifically sound world. We understand medicine. We know how children are conceived. So to say that a virgin is going to have a baby, that just doesn't make any sense to us. Now, remember last week, guys, we talked about Genesis chapter three fifteen. Was anybody here last week? Okay. Guys online, I know you remember. Okay. Genesis three fifteen. remember? God spoke to the serpent. Because when sin entered, and he gives a prophecy to the serpent about his future, and he says that your seed will be in conflict against whose seed? The seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. Now, woman can produce seed even in that one promise God was saying that I'm going to bring forth a miraculous child without conception. I'm going to cause a virgin to have a child. And Isaiah 7.14 picks up on this, and he says the Lord himself will give you a what? A sign. A sign that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then we're going to step into the Christmas story. And over the next couple of weeks, you're going to get Christmas cards, you're going to get Christmas greetings, you know, electronic, whatever form they come in. Mm. And some of them will have scripture verses that are very, very familiar from the story out of the narrative. But there's one that mm-hmm. we'll often quote, we'll read, but we don't give it a lot of thought. And it's actually one of these signs, it's these indicators that mark Christ as the Messiah. And it's this one where it talks about that he'll be wrapped in cloths. Uh, Now, I want to read it, and then we're going to go back for a moment here. It's over in Luke 2.12. It says, this will be a sign. There it is again. Jesus said, or God said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Now, everybody's familiar with that statement? Mm -hmm. Interesting. The English translation of the word cloths, it's appropriate for our understanding, but what it lacks mm-hmm. is the historical significance right. of the original. And a better word, Joe, is the word swaddling cloths, mm-hmm. because that brings a different significance to the story. Yeah, totally. Well, Luke is the one who's, who's writing this for us. Now, Luke is a doctor, so he uses actually medicinal and medical terms a lot of times when he's describing and recounting for us the gospel of Jesus. And also, he's the only Gentile author that we know about in the entire Scriptures. So when Matthew, Mark, and John, when they're writing uh, about Jesus, they're wanting to convince their own people that he's the Messiah. So they write with a certain you know, style and a flair because they're trying to reach their own people. But Luke, it's not that he's not interested in the locals, but his vision is to, to tell this gospel to people who are far away, who aren't familiar. And so he says that you'll find a baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth. And I, I don't know about about you, but when I, when I hear the term a swaddling cloth, it, it conjures up these beautiful images, right, of a baby that's crying, and a mom takes it and wraps it and brings it close to her, and the baby sleeps, right? Anybody here have a baby that cried a lot? Yeah, yeah. Our first child was colicky, and, you know, 
she, she was always in constant pain. She would cry, mm. and we would try everything. We'd put her in a stroller. I'd walk with her. We tried everything possible, but poor thing. She had this gas. She was in so much pain. And then my, my mom, the baby whisperer, would come to the house, and she just had this way about her. She would take that baby, wrap it up so tight, and shake it so violently. <laughs> Either she killed it or put it to sleep. We were happy that the baby stopped crying. That's Jay Amaral at porticocanada.ca. <laughs> the baby's, Keep those cards and letters coming. The baby's alive and well. No, but we have this idea of the swaddling thing, but it's more yeah. than that, because in ancient times, the swaddling cloth was used by shepherds. And they would carry it with them out into the fields. And if you were going on a long journey, you would carry it. And it was actually, it was made up of tiny little strips of cloth. And altogether, it was called a swaddling cloth. So if somebody died out in the field and you couldn't get to a burial in, mm. in time, you would wrap the body in the swaddling cloth. And then you present it for burial at the right time. And so Joseph is this young man coming from the Galilee with a wife in labor, and she can go into labor any time in the trip, and what if there's a complication, the baby dies or the mom dies, he brings his swaddling cloth just in case. And then the, the, the baby is born, he doesn't know what to do, it's, it's shivering, he takes his swaddling cloths, his burial cloths, and he wraps the newborn child. And we see two things, that God marks Jesus for death, but not just by his heavenly Father, but also by his earthly Father. Yeah. Jesus was born to die for us. Amen? Amen. You know, and the, the opportunity here for the skeptic is to go, well, can't you manipulate hmm. prophecy? Can't you predictively lead people towards a desired outcome? So in Jesus' hmm. case, you know, you've got all of these prophecies. Yet what we've been illustrating very intentionally today, this morning, has been each of these ones that we're referring to right hmm. now were beyond Jesus' ability to manipulate. He had no control over the choice of his mother. Right. Nor did he have any control over what... How many of you remember putting diapers on your kids? Yeah, your babies had no control over what you were choosing to use. Could have been a plastic bag as far as they were concerned. But Ooh. Joseph is the one who selected. So Joseph and Mary are there. And you realize Jesus couldn't even manipulate those prophetic signs that would mark and reveal him as the Messiah. I love how God makes sure that he removes the ambiguity from the story. And so when people are talking to you, Sure. I maybe, maybe you could, Joe, we could manipulate mm -hmm. circumstances. Even Jesus, if he wanted to, could have tried. Sure. But in the infant stage of this, you just take the, these prophecies alone. Mm -hmm. They would substantiate his messiahship. Well, sure. We can make generic prophecies. And we've actually heard this, you know, at some meetings where somebody will say, there will be a person born at a time in a place. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Dr. Obvious, of course. <laughs> but the prophecies are specific. He will be born of a virgin. He will be born in Bethlehem. His parents will be from the Davidic line. The prophecies are so specific that no man, no person, no God other than God himself could be the one to orchestrate it and cause it to come to pass. Guys, that's the God we serve. He is intentional. Mm. He does things on purpose and with a purpose. And you're one of those things. Come on. Yeah. So if you take it from his birth and you move it through his life, one of the things that Jesus did is then he begins to prophesy about his own death. Mm -hmm. And he begins to predict a situation by which outside of his hands, 
others would take. In fact, he said to the people around him, he said, you know, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. They were thinking he was referring to the temple in Jerusalem, which was over 40 years to construct. They laughed at him going, that's impossible. You're out of your mind. What Jesus was doing was prophetically declaring that I am going to die at the hands of those who choose to do this, but we know that it was through God's will. And he goes, and in three days, I will be resurrected. And he gives this powerful reminder so that even his disciples would remember and go, Jesus did this. We know without a doubt. And then in the whole sign of Jonah, that comes into play. You know, at the time when Jesus is making the statement, it's not that big a deal to his disciples because they're like, he's still alive, he's still with them. But it's post-death, it's in the time of resurrection that they're able to what? To look back, remember? They weren't predicting his death. They were going to be able to look back and reflect on his death. And the people, you know, we're not just the ones looking for a sign. When we're saying, should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? Should I buy the house? Should I do this? We're, we're always asking for a sign. Well, even in the time of Jesus, people were looking for signs. They wanted to know if this was God or not. And the Pharisees are asking Jesus for a sign. And in fact, we see in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 and 39, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, These are like high-ranking scholars. They said, teacher, we want a sign from you. That's a good sermon. That was a great worship service. That was all nice, great PowerPoint. That's all good. But show us a sign. Show us that you're something more than just yourself. And Jesus responds. He said, because you're a wicked and adulterous generation, you ask for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three nights and three days, and Jesus, again, was prophesying his own death, that he would be in the belly of the earth for three nights and three days. But like Jonah was brought forth, he was going to be brought forth. So even in his death, in that moment on the cross, and you know, in a few moments, we're actually going to participate in communion together. And this takes us back to a moment in history that's filled with such poignant insight. Mm. But if you look at this, God was orchestrating signs at the very moment that Christ was being crucified. And most people weren't seeing it. No. But it comes into play because now we're looking back retrospectively. Exactly. And you've been talking over the last three weeks, and yeah. I think it'd be a good connection for people to put this back together again. What was happening during the crucifixion? Mm. If you remember back to, to the first Sunday in the series, in Genesis 1.14, God said that he created the sun, the moon, and the stars to serve as signs. That they were going to mark sacred days, holy days, special days. Mm. Now, I believe that the death of the Son of God for the sins of the world of mankind, that's a special day. And God said, I'm going to mark that day with signs and the sun and the moon. So if we go back, now we have the ability to go back, to reflect, and using any kind of... of, of astronomy software, we can punch in dates and look for signs in the heavens. And on April 3rd, 33 AD, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, with precision, the moon goes, gets blocked out by the sun, comes in behind our planet Earth, loses the power of the sun, and takes on the color of the Earth that it puts out, which is red. And so at 3 o'clock on April 3rd, 33 AD, a blood moon begins to rise over the horizon of Jerusalem because God said he would mark the days with signs. God is a God who is specific. And when he says he's going to do a thing, he does it. Amen? Yeah. So we pick it up right here in communion. 
And the disciples at that first communion, I'm going to ask our servers if you would now come and help us prepare for this moment. And if you're in the room today or you're watching online and you have some of the elements, you can join us. Just hold them in your hands until I lead us together. But as Jesus gathered with his followers, his disciples in the upper room, he took the cup and he took the bread and he broke the bread and he distributed it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is going to be spilled or shed for you. Take and drink it. Those were both signs. Now, reflective back to the Passover, they understood the significance, but then Jesus puts it into a personal context so that they would again, not in that moment, but they would in future moments look back at that experience and realize Jesus himself gave them a very personal sign. Where did they get the conviction to go and preach the good news? Mm -hmm. Where did they get the conviction to know that what Christ declared he would do, he in fact fulfilled? It comes right out of this experience that we have. There's a song that we've been learning as a church over the last three weeks. Mm -hmm. And we're going to put the lyrics up on the screen. And as you're taking these, holding these elements in your hand, I just want to underscore them so we see them because we're going to sing them as an expression of worship today. The song is entitled, So Will I, and it's so full of truth and power. Starts off, this is in the third stanza, it says, God of salvation. Now watch what it says. You chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. Mm. Anybody ever fail? Mm. Anybody ever fail in the room? And yet it says, even in my failures, God, not just my one failure, My two, my three, my four, my my repeated failures. You're the God that chases down my heart. And even in my pride, when I refuse to acknowledge that you're the Lord of creation, you're the God of my life, even then, God, you're chasing me down. Then it goes on to say this, that on a hill you created, the light of the world was abandoned in darkness to die. The very beauty of creation that you gave to resonate and teach us truth, your son would be crucified on. And he would die there. And as you speak, and here's what I love. Mm. As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Do you know what I know to be true, Mm. Joe? Is that the enemy, his voice is a whisper. And it's so powerful that it'll trip us up and we allow it to be that Mm. way. That when we do fail, we go, oh, yeah, you're right. I, I, you know, I've done that before. I mean, how many of you, you fail and you say, God, I'll never do that again. Mm-hmm. And then you fail and you go, oh, I'll never do it again. And then you fail again. And at some point, the enemy goes, see, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make it. How could God love you? You let him down over and over and over. Mm-hmm. This is what I love about the song. It reminds us that God understood that we are imperfect. And in our brokenness, we could never do it. So he sends his son. And when it says, when you spoke... It is finished. He said, that's it. Sin and the power of sin has been broken. And I have secured the victory through my death on the cross. A hundred billion failures disappear. So if you're counting, wait until you get to a hundred billion because God still forgives. Amen. Where you lost your life so that I could find it here. If you left the grave behind, then so will I. That if you're willing to walk out of the grave and live a new life, Jesus, then so will I. I will be bold in my faith for you. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art that's called love. Love. And if you gladly chose surrender, so will I. And I can see your heart eight billion different ways. 
Look in this room alone. Look online as you're watching. That every one of us is a reflection of the love of God. No better, no worse. We're different, but we're different because it is God's art that is reflected in this room. Every precious one is a child that you died to save. And if you gave your life to love them, then so will I. So this morning, our worship team is coming out, and they're going to lead us in this song. We want you to sing. Prepare your hearts for communion because God revealed Christ as the Messiah so that we could receive him, not just know about him, so that we could receive him. So sing with us today. So you hold in your hands two emblems, really two signs, that's what they are, that remind us that all that God promised, he fulfilled in Christ. That all that Christ declared when he said it is finished, he accomplished through the cross and through the power of the resurrection. So this isn't merely a symbolic moment. This is a very intensely personal moment where we individually before God remind ourselves that he chose us, he adopted us, he loved us, he forgave us. He did it all so that we might be in relationship with him. And if you're visiting today and maybe this is a different style of communion for you, we invite you into an open communion. We're not worried about denominations and titles and church titles and backgrounds. We believe that there's one body in Christ through Christ. And so we celebrate it together and we invite you to participate. But maybe you're in the room and today's a day where you go, I've heard a lot about Jesus, but I've never personally responded to him. Friends, it's not about walking down an aisle. It's not about raising a hand. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's that simple. That's the beauty of the salvation plan, that God loved you so much. He didn't put up more hurdles. He took them all out of the way. So even today, while we receive communion, you can receive Christ in your heart. And what a great way to celebrate this Christmas season by doing that. And as we take communion for the rest of us today, may we be reminded of what Christ has done for us. This bread was his body broken for us that we might have wholeness and life and freedom. So let's take the bread together. And then this cup was his blood that was shed that we might experience the forgiveness of sins. And in it, he broke the power of sin so that we might truly live as new creations. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? Let's drink. So why have we taken the time this month to look at sign after sign after sign? Because these signs from God, they compel us They compel us to share the story of Jesus, the Messiah. It's not just to inform you. It's not just to impress you with all this wonderful data and amazing things. But because we see the the extent of God's love for us and what he's done, that should compel our hearts. Like the disciples, when they saw him risen from the dead, when they saw the signs, they had to go and tell everyone to the point of arrest, to the point of imprisonment, to the point of death. They said, who are we going to listen to, God or to you? They said, we have to listen to God. Friends, this is the season where we can take all of this that we've learned 
And that should put a passion in us to want to share this amazing news with our friends, our family, and those around us. In this season, as people are looking for signs, they're looking for purpose, they're looking for meaning, God has given us the answer that people are looking for, and it's our job. Let's make that covenant to say, God, I'm going to pray about who I'm going to minister to this Christmas season. God, I'm believing for this person, for these people to come in faith. God has placed the gift in you. Let's use that gift and tell the world. Amen. Amen. So would you, would you stand to your feet this morning all across the room, those that are online, those in overflow with us today? And let's do something. Let's pray together. Mm. And let's ask God to use us as His voice this season to help others to look to the Son. Let's pray together. So Father, today that's what we pray, that we would have the courage and the boldness to know that the signs that You have given us declare affirming that Christ is the true living Son of God. Mm. And this season, we will boldly share it with everyone that they might be able to look to the Son. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.